I'm going to get today to the, a verse that changed my life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I could point to many verses that changed my life, but this is the one that the Lord led me to share. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me today to Philippians 4. 13, all right? So just take out your Bibles. If you have your phone app, if that's where you do your Bible, that's fine too. But Philippians 4.13. This is a verse that I became real familiar with way back in high school, all right? Now, that's been a long time for me at this point. But it became familiar with me because when I was in school, I was a part of FCA. If you all know what that means, that means Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Now, believe it or not, for some of you don't don't know me, uh, I was an athlete in high school, all right? And at that time, I even I loved the Lord, and I wanted to serve the Lord even in high school. Now, I'll be honest with you, I can look back on that time of life now and wish that I had served God more but at least there was a desire to serve the Lord. And so as an athlete and somebody who loved God, I joined a fellowship of Christian athletes. One year, this verse was what you might call our theme verse or our focal verse, whatever you want to call it for our local chapter. This was the verse that we quoted. It was one we put on shirts among other things. And my guess is many of you are going to be familiar with this verse, but if not, let me read it to you and then we'll look at why This verse is so important to me and why it changed my life. It simply goes like this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right. Now, I'm going to read it to you again. This time I'm going to read it in New King James because it it would have been closer to the one that we quoted when I was in high school. And it went this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, though the word Christ is not in the original language, the King James uses that title for Jesus rather than simply saying him so that it is explicit who the him they're speaking about in this text. The meaning of the verse doesn't change. It just gives it a clarity. Now, if you look at that verse, it should be obvious why that verse was so popular with the high school athlete, all right? When a, when a high school athlete reads a verse that says, I can do all things who strengthens me, what do you think comes to mind? I can dunk the ball. Who said that? So, okay. All right. I, I hear you, Tracy. All right. What else? Anybody else? Y'all got nothing for me? Huh? I can make it through practice. All right, yeah, all right, yeah. yeah. Any of those things, right? Yeah, we, we look and say, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can win a state championship through Christ who gives me strength, right? No, I went to East Harden. We can have a winning season through Christ who gives us strength, right? Right, that's what we would say. And yes, Tracy, you stole this one right from me because I'm 5'9", right? I'm 5'9", but yes, yes, through Christ who gives me strength, I can dunk, right? I could get close, but never really did it, all right? Now, you don't laugh at those things, though you already are, right? Uh, But but we can laugh, but let's be honest, all right? That was how I, as a high school student, thought. And maybe I was immature with those thoughts, but, but I believed in God, and I wanted Him to be such a part of every aspect of my life. It didn't seem such a strange thing to think that God could even make me a better athlete. Now, let's be honest. There are probably still many adults who look at that verse and would have similar thoughts just relevant to whatever is going on in your life, right? Think about it. Some of you are going to say, you know what? Maybe it is like this. I I I can get that promotion through him who gives me strength. Or or you say, I I can make a million dollars through him who gives me strength. All right, I I I can do 
And you fill in the blank with many self-serving things. I say that because that philosophy is typically our approach to this verse. That is truly how I thought about it for a long time. But then I really began to think, well, what does this verse really mean? I begin to ask myself, can I really be stronger than a locomotive? Can I really be faster than a speeding bullet? Can I really jump a tall building in a single bound? In other words, can I be Superman through Christ who gives me strength? The answer to that is what? No. No, I cannot be Superman. There are limitations on my life. I cannot do everything just because I am a believer. If that were so, I could play more instruments than Zach. Right? Amen? But I can't, right? It's just not there. Now, as I thought about this verse, though, and what it meant, it led me to do a little digging. And as I dug, I learned an important lesson. In fact... Here is the first way this verse changed my life. Are you ready? This verse changed my life, number one, by it taught me to read Scripture in context. Okay? For to read Philippians 4.13 and to make it say all the, the things that I was making it say, I had, that, I had to read that verse in isolation. I failed to read it in context. And let me ask you this. Do you know it's very dangerous to not read Scripture in context? Did you all know that's a dangerous thing? And people do it all the time, all right? I hear this all the time. For example, I hear people quote Matthew 7, 1. Now, you may not know the reference, but I bet you know the verse because it goes like this. Judge not that you be not judged. People use it all the time and say, you know what? We should not judge people for anything. We should let people do whatever they want, and we shouldn't judge them. However, if you read it in context, no, you'll never get that impression because just a couple of verses later it says this. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In fact, in context, it's saying we, it's not the saying that we don't ever judge people's actions as right or wrong. It is saying that you first look Look at yourselves before you look at someone else's action because to point out their faults without first dealing with your faults is hypocritical. Because clearly in Scripture, as you read everything in context, there are some actions we are to judge as right and some we are to judge as wrong. Is, it tr- is that not true? Right? And so to read that, take that verse out of context, it's a dangerous thing. And then there's a verse like 1 Peter 2.24, which says, By his wounds you have been healed which I hear people quote all the time in regards to Jesus healing people physically. The problem with that verse and using it to talk about physical healing is that if you read it in context, either from 1 Peter 2 or Isaiah 53, it is talking not about a physical healing. It is talking about Jesus dying for the spiritual healing of his people and has nothing to do with the physical healing. Listen to it just in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now, I share those examples with you. And to be honest with you, I could share so many others to just remind you how important it is that we understand Scripture in context. All right. We can take one verse out of context. It might sound good in the moment. It might fit your personal agenda, but it is dangerous to use Scripture out of context. You see, I am thankful for Philippians 4.13 and teaching me to read Scripture in context. 
It changed my view of Scripture in a positive way, and it helped me understand the importance of studying all of Scripture and not just using Scripture like sound bites. Y'all know what sound bites, all right? Using these little snippets without understanding the full context. So that is the first way this verse changed my life, but this verse has meant so much more to me. To understand fully the way this verse has made a difference in my life and to change my life, guess what we have to do? If we're going to understand how this verse changed my life, what do we have to do? We have to read it in Context. All right, there you go. See, I get you there, all right? So why, why don't we do that? Why don't we read it in context? Philippians 4.13. I'm going to start. No, we're going to go back to verse 10. Look, look as Paul's writing here. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've received your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, hearing those verses read, what do you think is being spoken of in this context? Can you guess? All right. Give you a little hint. It says this at the end of verse 11, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. The writer of this passage is the Apostle Paul. At the time he was writing this letter, he was a prisoner in Rome. He was writing to believers in Philippi where he had had a great ministry and had developed a close relationship with the believers. When they had heard that Paul was in prison and had a need, they sent provisions to Paul to help him. That that is what he was addressing in verse 10. He was really thanking them for their help that, that he had received from them. Now, some take what Paul said next wrongly, and they take him as being ungrateful for what they'd given when he said, not that I am speaking of being in need. But that's not the case at all. Paul was trying to help these believers mature in their faith. And so he wanted them to understand where true satisfaction comes from. He was grateful for their help, but they needed to know what Paul and they needed goes beyond just having physical needs met. He wanted them to make sure, even in their own lives, that they had found where true contentment lies. Look at verse 11 again. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul in this verse shows us that contentment is something you have to learn. All right, catch that. Contentment is something you have to learn. Uh, the, The key word in verse 11 is I have learned. Hear me when I say this. There's not a one of us that are born naturally content. Right? None of us are born naturally content. In fact, Jesus even knew that. One day, Jesus had a man come to him, and this brother had a problem, right? He came to him, and he said, Jesus, what I want you to do is you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, all right? I don't know if his brother was being stingy, or maybe back then, the firstborn got double portion, and maybe this younger brother said, hey, I want half. So, you, Jesus, you tell him to give me, uh, here, you tell him to divide it with me. And Jesus looked at this man and said in Luke 12, 15, beware. Guard against every kind of greed, for life is not measured by how much you own, all right? Then Jesus proceeded to tell this man the parable of the rich fool because he knows the heart of man and knows that we struggle with greed. It's the reality of all of our lives. 
The Apostle Paul, again, was extremely aware of this because in another letter, he wrote to a young man named Titus. And as he writes, he's writing about how to live the Christian life. And in the midst of this discussion, he mentions the life that Christians had lived before becoming believers. And this is what he says in Titus 3.3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and what? Envy, hated by others and hating one another. In fact, part of a life before Christ is passing your days in envy. Now, I don't think I have to convince any of you here today that we struggle with that, right? Or that we struggle with being content. I mean, we all want just a little more, thinking just a little more will satisfy. You know, if a person gets a good paying job, you know what they want next? They want a raise or a better paying job, right? But they got it. But I want something a little bit better, right? I'm not satisfied with the job. I want the raise, maybe the promotion, maybe the new job, all right? If a person gets a new car, here's what's happened. They get a new car, and it's not too long that they look around, and they find somebody else who has a new car, and they think their new car is a little better than the new car that they just got. So guess what? They no longer like their new car because they're wanting this other new car, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? A person gets a house, and when they get that house, what's the first thing they want to do? change it. They want to remodel it, right? Because I'm not content with my house. I got to change it. I got to make it what I want it to be. Or they get a new house and finally they, oh, no, I want a different house. This one's not going to fit my need, right? I mean, a person has plenty of clothes in the closet to wear, but what do they do? They go out shopping to buy a new outfit. Why? Because they just want a new outfit, right? Y'all know, right? A person has a TV that works perfectly fine. I mean, it's a great TV, but the latest model has come out and it offers just a little bit better picture. So I got to have a new TV, right? Right? I mean, I got four guitars in my house. Four guitars somehow won't suffice. There's this one other guitar that's going to get a little bit better tune. So I got to have the fifth guitar. Why is everybody looking at Zach? Why are, they, why are they doing that, all right? Anyway, that, 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 that's how we are, is it not? I mean, we want, all right, because again, if I haven't hit you yet, maybe yours is a smartphone. We have to have a new smartphone every two years, as if the one we got's not working perfectly fine, right? Every person in this room struggles with contentment. Can I get an Amen. All right, see, okay, I want you all to agree to that, all right? It's not something that comes naturally to us. That's why Paul said, I have learned to be content. See, contentment is something that has to be acquired. Now look at verse 12, because it builds upon verse 11. He goes on to say, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the, cir- the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, if you look at this verse, the words, I have learned the secret. Catch this. I have learned the secret. Five words. In the original Greek language, it's one word. It's one word in the original Greek. It takes five English words to say one Greek word. Wow. Woo, blows our mind away, right? Well, think about this, all right? I may not say this word correctly, but the word is meme. That's close. Just take my word for it, right? And no, no, you probably really don't care about it, but let me just say this. It was a technical word used in its day, meaning to initiate. To initiate. We're familiar with initiations, are we not? 
It is a process or something you do when you join an organization. It can be your initiation into a job, all right? I got to get initiated into my job, or I can be initiated into my club. Those are a couple examples. We understand what it means to be initiated. In other words, there's something that we do. There's a process that we have to go through. And so here's what Paul is saying in a way. He's saying, I had to be initiated into contentment. And how? Through his experiences. Think about what he said. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He learned to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is saying is that in life, he had faced many different experiences and through them all, he had learned a secret to being content. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to talk about that secret that he learned, but let's go ahead and confess that life is usually full of many different experiences. You know, for me, I'm like Paul. I have faced plenty and I've had needs. I can tell you when I first went into ministry and our kids were small, it was definitely in our life a time of great need. There are honestly, there are times when, when we'd get to the end of the month and I just wondered how in the world did we pay all of our bills this month? I really had no clue. People like to joke about me being frugal. If y'all don't know me, I'm a pretty frugal guy. And there is a reason for that. Because when we were young and in ministry, if we were not frugal, we would not have made it. I guess I just haven't grown out of that yet, right? Okay, you see? So there was that time in our life where we didn't hardly have anything. Again, I just want to have enough to, to pay the bills. I want enough to put food on the table. I want enough to clothe my kids. Now, Kim and I have reached that stage in our life where we could use maybe the word that Paul says, where we've got a place where we have plenty, all right? Because our finances look a little different than they did way back then. But here's the thing that Paul wants us to see, that whether you find yourself in a place where you feel like you are in need, or whether you find yourself in a place of having plenty, the secret to contentment is the same, and life can teach you that. So you think about this. When you don't have much, you're not content, and you think having more things, whatever those things are for you, will make you content, right? But then you find yourself in a place of plenty, and you realize that having those things still does not make you content. You really have to experience both sides before you understand that truth. And Paul said, I've experienced both sides. At one time, he was in a high position as a Pharisee, and people looked at him as a leader. Paul also experienced being thrown into jail by those who thought he was a criminal. Paul knew what it was like to have many people in his corner, and he also knew what it was like to be abandoned. Paul said he'd experienced need and plenty, and through the combination of those experiences, he had learned the secret to being content. He had learned this truth. Are you ready? Contentment is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to let that sink in. Contentment is only found in a relationship with Christ. Look at, look at verse 13 again. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what Paul really wants us to understand, it is only Jesus that can satisfy. And when you are walking with him, you can be content no matter what your situation is because in him you already have everything you need. In fact, the word through in this verse can be translated in or even in union with. I like that translation better because I believe it really gets to the core of what Paul wants us to know. is that it's being in a relationship with Jesus that brings contentment, not the accumulation of things. Paul, earlier in this letter to the believers, had made this powerful statement which helps give light to what he's saying now. 
Reading this will show us even more the importance of context because to understand what Paul says in Philippians 4, it's important that you understand what he's just said in chapter 3. In chapter 3, after recounting his personal achievements, which for many would have been their source of fulfillment and contentment, Paul said some very insightful words, which I'm going to read to you today from the New Living Translation. Listen to what he wrote. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. And here's what Paul has made clear here, that the only thing of real value to him was his relationship with Jesus Christ, which he gained through his faith in Jesus. And after gaining a relationship with Jesus, Paul realized that all the stuff that he thought made him somebody was really nothing. It was really all garbage. That all the things that he thought would make him content really didn't. They were actually worthless because only a relationship with Jesus Christ has infinite value. And so it was his relationship that Jesus that he now longed to have more of. You see, Philippians 4.13 changed my life because, folks, listen, when I understood it in context, and understood its meaning, it showed me this, that contentment would never be found in the things of this world and would only be found in Jesus Christ. I understood that contentment would not be found if I could dunk a basketball or have a winning season. I realized that contentment wouldn't be found in a nicer home or a fancy car or a successful career or overflowing bank account. Philippians 4.13 taught me that nothing in this world would satisfy me, and when you personally grasp that truth, it can radically change your life. You see, when you grasp the truth that contentment is found only in Jesus, you can truly face any circumstance with contentment. Okay. And, and think about what we're told in 1 Timothy 6, 6, 6, 7. But, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. You, you see, this idea of being content fully in God is even not a unique concept to Paul. Think about what the first line of probably the most famous and loved psalm says. The 23rd Psalm, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's he saying? Here's what that verse is really saying, all right? When you have the Lord, you have all you really need. You got it? When I have him, I have all I need. Probably in part because when you walk with the shepherd, he provides for your real needs. All right? But the greatest thing is that relationship with the good shepherd. It's God. And looking at that relationship and understanding it is the only thing that's going to bring me satisfaction. I think we partly see this in Habakkuk 3 as well where it says this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine. 
Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. In other words, Habakkuk makes it clear that the contentment that the Lord brings is not based upon the circumstances, but simply in knowing the Lord who is your salvation and your strength. And when you know the Lord fully, your circumstances can change, but you know that He is the same, and so your contentment remains. Here's why ultimately that's true. Because everything in this world is temporary, and only God and the things of God are eternal. Therefore, the only true contentment that is found is in God, and it is a contentment that will last through eternity. Now, two weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this, there was a valedictorian in Texas who made the headlines. Did y'all see this? If not, you're getting ready to. Being the valedictorian, she had an opportunity to share a few words to her fellow graduate, graduates and those who had come there supporting those graduating. I, I want you to listen to her speech because it's going to help us to grasp the truth of what I want us to see today. And so turn your attention to the screen for a few moments. Hi, y'all. It's a privilege to be standing here as valedictorian. Um, I want to congratulate our salutatorian and one of my best friends, Kaylee, and the rest of the top 10 on all of your hard work. Now I want to talk to you all about the most important person in my life, Jesus Christ, and how he has changed my life. Before I understood who Jesus is, my life was very confusing to me. On the one hand, I had some really good gifts. Academics and foreign languages came pretty easily to me. I had a great family and awesome friends. On the other hand, things were kind of confusing. The things that I was seeing and hearing in the world didn't make sense. I knew that I was very self-centered and I struggled to find happiness. But then I learned that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and therefore he is the true king of the human race. Where his rule and reign is allowed, humans thrive. Where he is not allowed to be king, there is brokenness and suffering. But I also learned that he loves me so much, all of us in fact, that he died on the cross in our place and three days later he rose again, paying the penalty for us not allowing him to be king in full. When I changed my mind and I made Jesus the king of my life, he completely changed me. I was filled with a peace and a joy that I had never experienced before. I no longer had a sense of dissatisfaction and restlessness about my life. I started to become measurably less and less self-centered and the things that I was seeing and hearing in the world started to make sense. In fact, even though winning this contest for valedictorian feels so awesome, it cannot compare to the joy that Jesus has brought into my life. What Jesus has done for me, he does for anyone that accepts him as their personal king. All you have to do is admit that you have not allowed him to be the king of your life. Believe that his death, burial, and resurrection completely pays the penalty for that decision 
and confess him as your Savior and Lord. I encourage you all to make that decision today. If you, uh, you want can, to you know more, that. I invite you to visit my church. She's getting ready to invite you to her church, and I don't want you to go there, so we won't let the bit. It's in Houston, Texas, so you're not going probably, right? Uh, in fact, um, isn't that a great speech? My guess is it probably wasn't approved. <laughs> she probably threw her script out the window and said, I'm going to say what I want to say, right? Because what are they going to do at this point? I'm graduating, right? Uh, it was a great speech. In fact, um, you know, sometimes we, um, we want to be critical of the younger generation. Maybe the younger generation is figuring some things out. In fact, if you haven't done, do this. If you're on social media, go today and look at Oklahoma Sooners softball team. And you watch the interview given by three young ladies this week on the ESPN. They caught ESPN off guard when all three of them looked and said, all right, because if you don't know, they, they won the, the World Series or the Softball World Series. They won the championship this week, all right? They're a dynasty. They, they've won 52 straight softball games. They're crazy, right? But every one of them looked and said, right, our joy is not found in winning at softball. They all said it's found in Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that keeps us grounded. So the future generation, maybe there's hope, praise the Lord, right? And I love when we listen to that valedictorian when she spoke because she said, when she talked about that process of winning, she said how awesome it was, but she said it can't compare to the joy that Jesus has brought into her life. Isn't that a great statement? I even believe this. Had she not won the valedictorian, guess what I think she would have still said? Jesus has brought me joy. He's brought me contentment. Because when your contentment is found in him, listen, it doesn't matter what happens in your circumstances, right? You see, folks, rightly understood, Philippians 4.13 can change your life, all right? It can change everyone's because when you know the secret of being content and all that you do, you can know that it's Christ who gives you strength. And when you do that, you find a great hope. And you can view the world differently when you understand your contentment is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? In fact, here's what I want us to do as we move to a close. Three things real quick. Number one. What I want you to do is this. I want you to identify the things in life that you are pursuing in order to find contentment. I want you to identify them, and I want you to label them an idol. I know you won't like doing that, but that's what they are. If there's anything in your life you're pursuing for contentment other than God and God alone, that thing is an idol. It could be a job. It could be a possession. Let me go ahead and tell you, it could even be family. It could be people. It could be a relationship. It can be any of those things. If you're looking for contentment in anything other than Jesus Christ, hear me. It is an idol. Identify it. Let's name it. Because if you don't understand this, God doesn't stand for idols. Right? Number two, once you've identified it, repent that you've sought contentment in something other than God. See, if we recognize that something is an idol, I'd hope you'd want it out of your life. And the way you start, all right, by getting it out of the place where it doesn't deserve is through repentance. And here's what repentance simply is. Repentance is simply agreeing with God, saying, God, I, I agree with you. And so for some of you, you come and say, God, I agree this is an idol in my life. And what I'm doing, God, is I'm confessing it is an idol to you, right? He already knows it. He's just waiting for you to agree with him. That's repentance. When you confess that, and then you say, God, I'm going to turn from the idol, and I'm going to turn from you, because full repentance is when I change. Are y'all with me this morning? Am I hitting too close? Y'all got real quiet. All right, write it down. That's great. Number three, 
then seek after God and find your contentment solely in a relationship with Him. Read the Bible to discover more about Him. Pray, have a regular conversation with Him where you not only speak to God, but here's what we often forget to do in prayer, where we pray not only seeking to speak to God, but saying, God, I'm listening to you. And listen to what He says. Worship Him with other believers, seeking support and knowing God more. And then walk in that relationship, knowing that God wants to walk with you through life. And if you walk with God fully, you will find that a relationship with God is the only place to be content. And I have no doubt that if you walk with God, you will find contentment. Because as the psalmist declares in Psalm 107.9, For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Now, as I close with this, I have a final word. If you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, that's where it starts. You know, the three things that I just shared really are for believers. For us to go back and look at our life and say, hey, am I content in Christ? Or have I let an idol slip in? But there's some of you here today that you've never started where it needs to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know this. God loves you desperately. God understands your life. He understands the brokenness of your life. He understands the mistakes that you've made. And because of that, he sent Jesus to this world so that you might have a relationship with him and find that contentment that you long for. And today, if you'll confess your sin to him and confess, God, I know that I failed. I've not lived up to your standard. And because of that, there is an emptiness in my heart. There is a longing that nothing in this world has been able to feel. I know this, that if you'll confess that Jesus is your Savior and understand God, I know that he died in my place and I accept him as the Lord and the master of my life. Do as that valedictorian said, make him the king. Let him reign in your life. Here's what I know. He'll come and fill your life with the joy that nothing in this world ever will. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day to do that. Do you understand? Because in a moment, we're going to have an invitation and it's an opportunity for you to come. I'll be here. Brother Jonas is back here. He will be glad to come and meet you. We'll talk with you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you need to come and give your life to him, you come today. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. But believers, please hear me. Today, maybe you've gotten your eyes off Jesus and onto something else. And saying, Lord, I just need this. If I just get this, I'll be happy. Listen, you'll never be happy, right? Today, if you let something become an idol, yes, please, today. Let's turn our eyes off the idol and let's turn our eyes back on God. Because in Him, we can do all things who gives us strength, right? And that means we can be content in Him if we look to Jesus. Would you pray with me, Father, as we come to you in these moments? Father, we come just asking you, Lord, to fill our lives. And my prayer, Lord, as we move to an invitation and there'd be those here today that would come and they'd make decisions that are pleasing to you. For those that have never given their life to Jesus, I pray this is a day that they would come and find a relationship with him. And for those that know you that may have gotten their eyes off you, I pray today is a day that they repent and turn back to you. Turn back to you as the only source of fulfillment, as the only source of contentment, knowing that truly in you, you can give them that contentment they long for. So be with us. Pour your spirit down in these moments, I pray. And help us truly to walk fully with you in Jesus' name. Amen.